Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. As a busy weatherman, people rely on me for up-to-the-minute weather reporting, which means I need energy to keep me going throughout my day. Well, right now, you can get two Dunkin' Bacon, Egg, and Cheese sandwiches for $5. Well, in that case, the forecast calls for rain, sun, partly cloudy, high, low, scattered, isolated, umbrella jacket, flip-flops with 100% chance of looking up on the Internet. I've got sandwiches to eat. Humidity, dew point. Get two Dunkin' Bacon, Egg, and Cheese sandwiches for $5. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. Recording live from Jake's Sports and Spirits in the historic Rhino District of Denver, Colorado, it's the Pickaxe Podcast, presented by Denver Stiffs. Now, here's your host, Adam Mannes. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Pickaxe Podcast, brand new podcast presented by Denver Stiffs. I am your host, Adam Mares, and I'm joined today via Skype by a tremendous writer, writes for Upside and Motor, and one of the best follows for NBA draft-related news. It's Jay-Z Maslis. Jay-Z, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for the kind words, Adam. I really appreciate you having me on. Um, I'm really excited to be on. The Nuggets are certainly a team I've paid a lot of attention to the last couple years because of their high draft picks, and I'm really excited to be on and talk about them. They're a good team to kind of talk to about the draft because they both have a lot of draft picks in the coming years, and they're a team that over the last two seasons has uh, you know, kind of built around the draft with tons of picks. I think they got like eight guys under 23 years old, so definitely a lot of guys I'm excited to pick your brain about. And where are you located? Um, I'm located in the Washington area, so I'm a Wizards fan. Um, oh, gotcha. Cool. But <laughs> Right on. Well, we won't fault you for that. I was going to say, I think they've, they've just graduated from the young core stage. Now it's kind of, they're not producing and they're not that young. And that's kind of a, a scary part. And even for me as a Nuggets fan, it's very, very, very possible that this promising Nuggets team never moves past the promising stage. So that's always that's always a fear. I don't think it'll happen because there's so much, there's such a wide net of talent on the team. But it is always a fear that you go. There's that point where a team goes from being high upside to never really fulfilled it. Um, but yeah. The, but yeah, yeah. So we're actually recording via Skype right now. He's uh, in Washington. I'm in I'm in Denver at my house. We are not at Jake Sports and Spirits, but that is our sponsor, and they've been our sponsor all along. One of the best bars in Denver, one of the best sports bars in all of Denver. They've got every TV package you could want for sports. They've got TVs on every wall. Really cool Nuggets memorabilia and stuff around, and it's run by one of the biggest Denver sports fans in all of Colorado. So check it out, 3800 Walnut Street in the Rhino District of Denver, Colorado. Again, that's Jake's Sports and Spirits. Tremendous food menu, and of course, just a great place to get together with your buddies and watch the game. All right, we'll jump right into it. Um, I, I want to ask you, so what is your background? I'm always curious with bloggers, because having been to Summer League now for two straight years, I, I've got to meet a lot of 
you know, the, the bloggers that we all follow on Twitter and, and we read their articles and it's such a wide variety of people. What's your background? Were you a player? Do you, are you still around the game? Um, yeah, I, I played, um, not at a super high level, but I was a captain of my varsity high school team, despite not being a particularly prominent player on the team or yeah. because I just always really loved basketball and I guess was pretty knowledgeable about the game. Washington, uh, D.C. is kind of a hotbed for hoops, isn't it? There's a lot of great players that come out of that area. Yeah, no, it, absolutely. Um, I don't know if you know the high school DeMatha Catholic. I do not. Uh, well, that's where Morgan Rudin, who's the winningest high school coach of all time coach, not where I went, but they're, they're like the best team in the area. But in addition to them, there's a lot of great teams. Um, Markel Fultz is someone who's currently projected to be a top five pick next year was playing at DeMatha last year, and I get to go and watch a lot of the high school games. Uh, Oladipo played at DeMatha, both of the Grant brothers, Jeremy and Jerrion. Where's Will so, Barton from? Will Barton, I, he's more from the Baltimore area. Oh, that's right. Um, that's right. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on, here in Denver, we're pretty excited about Jamal Murray, and uh, it's been interesting kind of watching his game. When you have the seventh pick and you kind of look at the top seven guys, there's always that one or two guy you really don't want. And I think with Denver, we were lucky that some of those guys went earlier. You look at some of the big guys like, uh, you, you know, the Nuggets already have a lot of big, so there was always a fear that a guy like Bender yeah. or something like that would fall. But when those guys went early, I think everybody in Denver was really excited to land Jamal Murray. But uh, coming into the draft, you actually had one of the uh, one of the more critical articles about Jamal Murray you really didn't like his game what was your scouting report uh, about Jamal Murray coming out of college yeah I was not a big fan of Murray's coming out of college I would say the like the primary reason just comes down to his athleticism which hurts him on both ends of the floor as a relatively undersized two guards I think being athletic is pretty crucial to NBA success in most cases and I saw him as someone who even at the college level, really struggled to stay in front of guys on defense. Um, he got a little better over the course of the season as he, like, tried, actually. But he never, he never struck me as a much of a defender, even in college, which gave me a lot of concern about his ability to guard at the NBA level. And then on offense, against some college opponents, he looked really good. But then against some of the more athletic teams that could really, like, smother him, longer and more athletic guys, he struggled to create space, um, and, you know, I mean, he, there's the whole, is he a point guard debate, right. and I just, I never was a big fan of his passing skills, um, I thought he didn't ever strike me as a great decision maker at the college level, more than the gunner, and that whole combination just led me to see him as more of like a one-dimensional offensive scorer who didn't have the quickness to be particularly efficient at that and that's just not a player type i'm a big fan of kind of like lou williams-esque but maybe even without a foul shot creation i think i'm i think i'm with you about you know just the type of player that i like especially from my guards the type of skill set i like and i want to start with the the comment about his athleticism because i think that probably is the biggest uh, question mark probably undersells it because question mark sounds like, uh, you know, a guy can improve in that department. And I'm not sure 
you know, there's guys that are athletes and guys that are not. And everybody can improve, but I don't think he can ever improve to be an elite athlete. He can probably improve to be a little bit quicker, a little bit stronger, a little bit more springy. But he just doesn't seem like a guy that's ever going to be a drive down the lane tomahawk. He's never going to be a Westbrook type type athlete or yeah. anything like. That. I would just say he's a he's a confusing athlete to watch compared to a lot of other guys. Like he'll he'll have some finishes around the basket, or I mean, I, I think he had a he might have had a putback dunk in summer league, or maybe it was either summer league or during the college season. But he'll make some really surprisingly athletic plays that kind of jump off the screen. But then when you see him moving on defense sometimes, or his, or when you see him trying to get by guys, suddenly he looks pretty slow. Yeah. So it's, it's a yeah. bit confusing, I would say, compared to most guys. He's not as consistent. It seems like he kind of has an extra gear. He just isn't able to get there very often. But in general, yeah, the athleticism is a concern. So I know that he scored around 20 points per game uh, for Kentucky, and a, and a lot of our, our listeners and readers at denverstiffs.com are, are like myself and that we don't watch a ton of college basketball through the season. What was his role on the team? I know they had Tyler Ulis, who was uh, like a true point guard floor general running point, so he was off ball a lot. But what? how did Kentucky use him, especially offensively? Well, it's really interesting because it actually – changed a bunch over the course of the season. Um, Calipari's famous, obviously, for his dribble drive offense that, like, popularized with Derrick Rose all the way back at Memphis, where it just kind of spread the floor and, like, let a guard attack if they don't get anything, hand off to another guard, let that guard attack. And Kentucky really started the season playing that style, not even put, not putting Ulis or Murray in much pick and roll more trying to force them to just create from the top of the key or from the wing in isolation. And they started off the season pretty poorly. I, I think Ulis is much more suited to pick and roll play and Murray's not very suited to isolation play. But then as the season went on, I mean, they, they always had to set in, but they really started to put Murray in a lot more off ball action where he would you know, run off baseline screens, kind of like think JJ Reddick type. Um, and he was a ton more successful in that format, um, he, because he can't necessarily just get by a guy in isolation. When he comes off a screen, guys are trailing him, and he's got a he's got a really great feel for how to attack when he already has space. I worry about his ability to create space, but once he already has space, he knows exactly where to find the angles, where to find the lanes. So when he catches it coming off one of those baseline screens, he's got such a quick release. And if he's not putting it up, he does a great job of going quickly into attacking the basket. Yeah, and I want to get back to that because that's probably my biggest read on him coming into Summer League, uh, or, or watching him at Summer League, rather, was that he did, he really struggled to create space for himself, but he seemed to be very good at scoring anyway. Like you know, like He, he would have a lot yeah. of isolation plays where he didn't get open, but he would still hit a tough shot. And I don't, I don't like those types of things because I don't think those are as reliable um, I'd rather players that can create space and make easy buckets than players that can hit tough ones. But I want to before we go there, we'll go there next. But I want to start with you talked about the the, the kind of the two attacking uh, backcourt players and how they started the season in Kentucky. And last year, one of the lineups that was really successful for Denver was DJ Augustine playing alongside Emmanuel Mudiay, and it was sort of the same thing in that the two of them. You know, neither one of them was necessarily the point guard and a traditional point guard, and the other guy's off ball. But rather, they would take turns just trying to create cracks in the defense, and they dribble, drive, dribble, pitch to the other guy who would drive, pitch it back, and 
and kind of weave like that. And it was really successful. And I thought Moutier even looked really good, uh, you know, catching the ball on the run to attack the defense. And I think uh, that's one way I could see Jamal Murray and Emmanuel Moutier working out. But it sounds like Jamal Murray kind of struggled in that offense. Is that something you could see the Nuggets going to next year? Well, like I said, I don't, I don't think Murray is ever going to be an efficient isolation creator. But in terms of, so I don't know if you could really rely on him to be the primary guy at the top with Moutier on the wing. Uh-huh. But if Moutier breaks down the defense to start with, kicks it to Murray, Murray's, Murray's great at attacking off the catch. And he could absolutely make a secondary play to get it back to Moutier. I would say someone needs to be, other than Murray, needs to be the first initiator, kind of. Uh-huh. But after that, absolutely be involved in that type of action. And I think that's the type of action that getting players on the move, just a personal tangent here, I think is the probably the most underrated thing in basketball coaching. Agreed. Um, people talk, like, what makes, in my opinion, what makes Pops uh, in the Spurs system so great is just that they get guys on the move. I mean, you see Tony Parker run off those baseline screens. Yeah. Tony Parker doesn't, he doesn't have any of the physical tools to be a great isolation point guard or even necessarily a great pick and roll point guard. But because the Spurs have done such a great job of getting him in space on the move where he can attack with a head of steam, he's had like a, a fantastic Hall of Fame worthy career. And I think any NBA player, any NBA guard can benefit from being in a system that gives you that type of space. And Murray specifically is the type of guy who really, if you get him on the move and get him attacking quickly and not having to just initiate from nothing, he can really be successful. I, I really like that point, not just about the Nuggets, but about basketball in general. And you mentioned the Spurs, and they are so good at that. Just it, Isolation basketball is so easy, not just for the, the one-on-one defender that's guarding the ball, but for the help side as well to make the read because – you kind of get a second to catch your breath, take take inventory of who's where and what's going on, and so it makes your help rotations better. So I think, so I'm with you on that. I think always getting the players on the move. There's almost, and a lot of times with the Spurs offense, like they're you know they're floppy sets and they're zipper sets. They they're they run two or three passes and cuts that are really just not even designed to score as much as just designed to get the defense to make one or two reads before they have to make the real read. And that that stuff is always helpful. I want to I want to move on though to summer league. And just, uh, you know, he had an interesting summer league. His first game he played alongside Moutier and Gary Harris and was kind of frozen out of the offense. He didn't, like, he hardly got any touches. It wasn't that he was frozen out deliberately, just, you know, there's only so many backcourt players that can touch the ball at a time. Yeah. And and he struggled. As it went on, though, I thought he got a lot better. What what, What did you notice about his summer league experience? Yeah, I would just say quickly about that first game. It almost seemed like Harris and Moutier knew that was going to be their only game in summer league. Might as well get my shots up tonight, which which is totally reasonable, honestly. If I was one of those players, I understand that mindset. Murray's going to have his other four or whatever games to get his shots. Um, but from then on, I, I would say I was I was gen- generally pretty impressed. He obviously didn't shoot the ball very well from three or from the field, but I, I think it goes without saying that he's a good shooter, whether he's a good or an elite shooter is a, is a question worth exploring and yeah. will affect his NBA future a lot. But it goes without saying that he's a better shooter than he showed at Summer League. But I was generally pretty impressed. I think his defense, while still not great, looks a little better 
Um, I think he, he's got a relatively broad chest, and I think if he does, if he better figures out how to like utilize his, his kind of frame and his strength, he can corral guys a little more and not have to rely on his quickness as much because he's obviously worse in the quickness department. So I would say I was a little more impressed with his defense, and then on offense, just he, he really does a great job of finding the space that's there, even if he's not creating space. Right. He. he he, he knows he knows how to get his buckets, and he really he's just such an aggressive scorer. Um, I'm, I, all my questions that I had pre-draft still exist, but I think after watching him in summer league, I was definitely a little too harsh on him and not necessarily appreciative enough of the fact that he just has like a really really advanced feel for for knowing how to find space and creating scoring opportunities for himself and also for others. His passing certainly looked better in summer league than it had at uh, Kentucky. I'm always interested in why some players have such a great feel offensively in the pick and roll, and then defensively they have such a bad feel. And I thought Murray was one of those guys at least this summer and that, I mean, he did a lot of really smart things on pick and roll, just setting it up nicely, hitting it with, you know, the change of pace coming off of the screen dragging the defender two, three feet outside the three-point line and then going, uh, snaking screens, all that stuff. I thought he did a really good job. And then defensively, he would make such uh, elementary mistakes, of, you know, his footwork and his positioning and then just getting beat on the simplest little fakes. That's kind of a weird phenomenon. Is that something you're seeing with him as well? I completely agree with that assessment. And, I mean, that's one of those things that fascinates me. I, I really like thinking about, like, what actual mental or physical stuff makes basketball players good at or bad at X. Right. And I think it's, it's something, it's it's unclear what causes that in a player because I don't think it's exclusive to Murray by any means. Um, but that's definitely true of Murray that he's got a great feel on offense and then kind of has no idea what he's doing on defense. And I'd say my personal theory is that it's more something about anticipation and reflexes are what's key on defense. Um, you need to just be quick and not necessarily, but not necessarily quick of feet, but just quick of like reacting to things. Yeah. On offense, we're just about it being able to see everything and like process that information. So it's more about like spatial awareness. There's obviously a lot of overlap between those two. So you'd think that they kind of translate, but that, that, that's at least my go-to explanation for how that can happen. The Nuggets last year, one of their big problems was just containing dribble penetration. And I think my theory on that, first, is that young players, I think, struggle with that anyway. Just the speed of the NBA and the strength of it is very difficult just to. But another part of that was, was their height. And they were missing Wilson Chandler last year, so a lot of times they played... Will Barton at the three. They played Randy Foy at the three for like 50 minutes last year or something. So I think – so I, the size thing is certainly an issue, and it's weird because Jamal Murray is 6'4"-ish, I would say. I, I, I'm 6'5", and I always try to like stand next to players to see how tall they really are. Yeah. I would say he's about six six three and a half to six four and a half somewhere in there. And uh, and I just wonder if he's going to have some of the same issues that Gary Harris had with, with taller guys uh, containing – ball handlers and dribble penetration in particular and if he it and if he does especially in his rookie season that that alone is going to make him much less playable maybe than i think nuggets fans would like just because all the other players are going to have another year of experience they're going to be a little bit taller with wilson chandler back so 
Um, what, what do you think about that and just his physical tools to be a good defender? Yeah, I think that's certainly a good point. Um, Gary Harris was someone who was kind of billed as like a high-level defender coming into the draft. Like That was one of his positives. But like you said, A, young guys are never able to really adjust immediately unless you're a superlative defender like Justin Winslow or um, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. And he's a strong um, guy, too. Winslow is coming in with an NBA body, or he came in with an NBA body com- relative to what most rookies do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that's probably the most underrated part about it. Like the, you know, the the old expression, like grown man strength. The expression exists for a reason. Like there, there really just is a difference in the strength of a nineteen or twenty year old and a twenty five, twenty six year old. That it just every when you're that that corner when you're trying to turn the corner on offense, having that slight edge in strength can allow you to just go by someone, and that can make all the difference. Murray's definitely going to struggle. Um, I mean, I, I'm pretty pessimistic about his defense long-term, but short-term, certainly, it, it would be unrealistic to expect much from him. But I think the Nuggets are going to just have to kind of be willing to let him learn, and yeah. fan, fans, fans can't really expect him to be much of a defender this year. But you, you do need those reps because it's all about adjusting to the strength, adjusting to the speed, learning the rotations. I know this is a, an impossible thing to ask because it's it's predicting the future. But what is what is his stat line and what kind of player you know minutes per game and things like that is Jamal Murray in four years when he has four NBA seasons under his belt? Well, I'm gonna take Gary Harris out of the equation here for a second because sure. I think trying to figure out which of them will end up taking the majority of the minutes at the two spot is a little tricky, but. I would say Murray's the type of player, whether or not he deserves it, is going to end up getting minutes because he's going to score the ball. Uh, um, so I, I would say he's like a 30, 28-32-minute-a-game type guy, um, maybe even more than that. Um, and someone who fills it up, I mean, I could easily see him averaging 18 or 19 a game, even if he's only playing 30 minutes a game. And then after that, he doesn't really stuff the rest of the box score, but, you know, like four, four, four rebounds, four assists, a steal. So do you think more of like a six-man gunner type player, like a guy that comes an energy and scorer off the bench type guy? I mean, I think that would be the theoretical ideal role for him. But I think he's going to – he would be – I think he has the chance to be uh, – really would be really great in that role, but so good that teams would end up starting him. Yeah, that's always and tricky. And so, yeah, it's, it's always tricky. I mean, if, the, if, the Nuggets, if everything went right for the Nuggets, if Gary Harris turned into a very capable starter at the two, I think ideally you would play Murray in that six-man role. But more practically – I would expect him to end up as a starter, which I guess you could see as a good thing as well. Well, we're going to move on to some other nuggets here, but before we do, I want to tell my listeners about WashClubDenver.com. It's our newest sponsor. WashClubDenver is a brand-new laundry company that offers on-demand pickup and delivery of your laundry. Uh, the way it works is is you can go to washclubdenver.com or you could download the Wash Club Denver app and uh, you just enter your information, your address, your pickup and, and delivery address right there, how much laundry you have for them to pick up. And they'll come and within 24 hours, they'll clean and return your laundry. Uh, uh, it's an excellent service, brand new to Denver, just launched this last month. In fact, we're one of their first marketing partners, which is pretty cool. 
Um, you can go, uh, like I said, you can download the app, and if you do, use the promo code STIFFS, S-T-I-F-F-S. You get 25% off of your order. They're actually big Denver Stiffs fans, uh, big Denver Nuggets fans, which is really cool. I know last week a couple people on Twitter uh, hit me up about it, and I haven't heard anything back, so I want to know if you guys are using one of our sponsors, whether it's Jake's or whether it's Wash Club Denver, let me know. Uh, really excited to have them as a partner and really want to get some feedback about how they're doing. All right, Jay-Z, um, let's, let's move on to Wancho. Wancho Hernan Gomez, who I knew absolutely nothing about on draft night. Um, you know, I had seen maybe the draft, uh, the draft express videos and, and, and I don't, did you write an article on Wancho? I don't remember if you did or somebody else upside and motor. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't write any full length articles on him. Um, I mentioned him in a blog post of mine on my personal blog, Wingspan Addicts, but I never wrote something. Gotcha. Full, just so the Nuggets just signed him. Coming into the year, you know, on draft night, Tim Conley said it was 50-50 whether he'll come or whether he'll stay in Europe. He had a really good outing at Summer League, and he is now part of the team, so he will be on the roster. What a, what's your scouting report on Wancho? Wancho is interesting. He's, he's someone, he probably, Summer League probably changed my evaluation of him more than any other single player which I guess is a recurring theme here, um, the Murray. Um, I mostly watched Juancho at the FIBA U20 Europe tournament last summer when he played with Spain, and I wasn't particularly impressed. Um, he seemed like a you know fairly athletic foreman who could kind of shoot the ball, uh-huh. but didn't provide a lot of extra, didn't really impact the game on the defensive end, and didn't really playmate for others on offense. And then over the course of the season uh, uh, with Estudiantes, I believe, his draft stock really blew up. He, when I watched him in Spain, he wasn't that much. He was more considered a late second-round guy. But I didn't actually watch much, many of his games this past year in the ACB. I, I figured that, oh, things probably haven't changed that much from when I watched him a summer ago. Right. And I more just box score scouted. And there were a couple signs in his box score that made me pretty pessimistic, specifically his assisted turnover ratio and his defensive numbers, his steals and blocks. So I came into the draft with a pretty negative opinion of him. Then watching him at Summer League, I mean, I I was pretty blown away. I guess my concerns are pretty similar to Murray's in that defense and playmaking, kind of. This concern stays with me after Summer League. I think he's going to struggle to move his feet and guard guys in one-on-one situations, but That's definitely he didn't struggle. True. Really. He, got, he got beat by a, not by some, to be honest, by some scrubs at Summer League, like some guys that are not going to make the an NBA roster or even get a training camp invite, and he would get beat off the dribble. So that's, I mean, I think that one is definitely an under-talked-about issue with his defensive game. Yeah, I think he plays a little flat-footed um, when he's guarding guys, because then when you see him in help situations on defense, he flies around the court, and especially like on the glass on both ends, he's really all over the place. Plays with a ton of energy, and it jumped off the screen at summer league when you were watching him. Just how active he was, and how much he was able to make an impact just with his energy. So I think if he can learn to, you know, play a little lighter on his feet when he's guarding in one-on-one situations, and kind of leverage that same energy and yeah. activity, he could definitely improve. Um, but for now, that's a question. And then on offense, what, what impressed me most at Summer League was just how smart a decision-maker he seemed to be. I mean, he just he seemed very patient with the ball whenever he caught it, like at the elbow or in 
in different situations and just seemed to really know what he was doing. And yeah. his feel for attacking off the bounce is better than I, better than, certainly better than it was a year ago watching him in Spain. I mean, I think he's, I think he's really improved. Like, I, I, I watched him a fair amount last summer and was not that impressed. And then I watched him this summer and he really blew me away. So, And that's, I think, a promising thing because, you know, uh, a player that's kind of like in a, a rapidly improving to me that that seems like a guy that's putting it together um who maybe had this foundation things that didn't translate and, and it's starting to come together the one thing i'll say about him that i wonder about your about his role uh on estudiantes was i think you're right about the assist to turnover ratio but he was very much an off-ball player at least in summer league and he kind of cut and rebounded and did things that don't really require too much attention on offensively. You know, they weren't drawing up tons of plays for him. And I've heard the comp that he's like Gallo. And I'd say that's the one that that's the primary way. I think they're, they're very different, at least in terms of just upside is that Wancho doesn't seem like the guy that you give an ISO to and, and let him run the offense or you run pick and rolls for him. You kind of just let him be the cut guy, him be the screen guy. And he just kind of cleans up messes and, and hustles. Um, is that what you see him as as a prospect? Is more of an off-ball, uh, not necessarily a guy you run a bunch of plays for? Yeah, he, he certainly. I think of the two player types as finishers and creators, essentially. Right. And he's, he's certainly more of a finisher. But if we take a second to look at the Nuggets roster with Moutier and Jokic, particularly, those two guys are much more in the creator profile. So I think yeah. having a four-man that's more of a finisher isn't, isn't a bad thing at all. And, I mean, Am- Amari Stoudemire was a finisher. Juancho's nothing like Amari Stoudemire, obviously. But, <laughs> right. but just because he, I'm labeling him as a finisher isn't necessarily a bad thing about his NBA future. It's just more the type of role he should be playing. Like you said, it's cutting, screening, popping on the perimeter, attacking the glass. And he can really excel doing those things. Yeah. But... Not not someone who you want to isolate and try and have him make plays in the mid post or whatever. I'm really excited to see him on the roster this year. I don't think he's going to play a whole lot. You know, of course, if there's a, a Kenneth Fareed trade, which a lot of people think w- is likely to happen, or at least uh, you know more likely than not, at some point, probably closer to the trade deadline, then he might move up and and start getting more minutes. But I'm just excited for him to be here, be part of the team. I think the camaraderie will be good for him. He really – the funny thing is Jamal Murray, Malik Beasley, and Juancho Hernan Gomez have been all over social media with each other. They seem to really enjoy each other's company, you know, just doing goofy stuff that rookies do. And then even at Summer League, they're always hanging out, and it, it just seemed like a real bond. So I think if he was in Europe for a year, those relationships would grow and move on without him to a certain extent. So I'm glad for him to be part of the team, and then – I think the speed and strength of the game is the biggest weakness in his game, and I don't know that you can replicate that in Spain. I think that's something that you have to experience and get reps with, and that's the best way to kind of learn how to how to deal with it. So, I think bringing him here was the right choice. Do you do you think he would have benefited more from staying in Europe or from sitting on the bench and playing 300 minutes all season? I'm totally with you. I'm always a proponent of guys coming over to the NBA. I think. There, it really can't be overstated how much it means to just go up against NBA-level guys every day, whether that be in game situations or in practice situations. Playing against the best guys in the world, I think, personally, I think is always the best way to improve your game. Um, sometimes, I think, 
Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. There's a little delay here because we're on Skype, and that's and that's why we keep interrupting. But go ahead and finish that thought. Yeah, I was just going to say some guys, maybe guys particularly who are more creator types, it makes sense to let them play at the D League level or in Spain where they can actually play that creator role. That's a great point. But certainly for someone like Juancho, who doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily going to benefit from going over to Spain and being asked to create, it definitely makes sense to have him in the NBA. And I, I'm almost always a fan of guys just being on an NBA roster. I, I think that's a tremendous point. That, that, that's really interesting. Let's, let's move on to Malik Beasley, because he's a guy even most Nuggets fans still don't know anything about because he sat out Summer League, and I don't think too many Nuggets fans are keeping their, a close eye on Florida State basketball. Um, but he's a guy, I'll tell you what, his reputation around the team is phenomenal already. You know, front office people and, and media people keep talking to me about what a great guy he is. I've got to meet him briefly. i got to meet his mom briefly. Just a lovely family, super nice guy. What, what can you tell me about his game? Well, first off, the whole personality situation, I, I believe his, his parents are actors, right? Yeah, that's right. Grandfather yeah. and father. Yeah, I think that's. I, I think that's pretty hilarious. I mean, you can really, like you said, you, you saw that on the sidelines at Summer League. And that's something that, as a scout, like a college scout, you don't necessarily notice watching the, the games, but certainly interesting. Um, in terms of his game, he's theoretically got all the tools you want in a 3 and D wing. I mean, he's, he's got a pretty sweet stroke, not like, a, a, not like Murray in that he's adept at running off screens and firing with an inch of space, but... Very capable shooter, um, definitely can shoot off the bounce some even, and a pretty big time athlete. Um, he'll he'll surprise you when he goes to the basket. He's more he's more of a smooth type of athlete than uh, looks like he's just flying all over the place. But then he'll rise up and really make some plays at the rim. Uh-huh. But he hasn't really he hasn't. I would say my biggest question with him is that he hasn't just really figured out how to leverage his athleticism on the defensive end. And it's the question the question always is with young players, is it just that he hasn't learned how to commit himself and really work hard and learned how to execute his scheme, or is it a bigger problem with his natural anticipation and reflexes? And that's just a it's a fine line that's hard to say in any scouting report. But I mean I guess the the, the, the example is someone like Terrence Ross. Terrence Ross has all the physical tools and the, and the shot be a fantastic 3 and D player, but he, he's just never able to leverage them on the defensive end. Combination of mentality and I, what I believe is just natural instincts and reflexes prevents him from actually from defending at an NBA level at all. And I think Beasley could end up being a similar kind of player to someone like Terrence Ross if things go poorly, but there's certainly room in his development to become a pretty well-rounded guy and his, his ability to attack and trade for himself and even a little bit for others is more advanced than most true free and D prospects. He's got a really nice floater game. That's one thing you always notice when you watch him, which you wouldn't necessarily expect for a athletic shooter got wing. Do you, uh, where did you have him going into the draft? Where, where did you rank him amongst prospects? I think, what did he go 19th or 18th? I've already forgotten. Yeah, that sounds that sounds right. Um, I had him in the late twenties, okay. but I would say that I, I there was a large group of guys who I had kind of in the same range. Yeah. And the Nuggets took him. There are a couple guys I would have taken over him, but I, I don't have a big issue with where the Nuggets took him. And I think 
at that point in the draft, there were a lot of wings who looked like potentially interesting role players and certainly taking someone who has all the off the court stuff nailed down is not a bad idea. And that's such a big thing. I think for the Nuggets, their two biggest priorities were shooting number one. And obviously, you know, he's a shooter. And then the other thing is they got burned two years ago by having such a dysfunctional locker room that for the last year and a half, basically, they will not bring in anybody with uh, even questionable locker room presence. So I think they're kind of on like a two or three years where no matter how good a player is, if if he could be a cancer to the young guys or could just be a bad attitude and bring people down, they're out. So obviously Beasley is a guy that has just like lit up the team, you know, personality wise. And I think that's part of why, uh, you know, they may, may, might've been willing to reach on him. Um, let's move on to Peter Cornelie because this is another guy, obviously I don't think very many people scout the second round unless, unless they're crazy like you are, but, uh, <laughs> but Peter Cornelie was a lot of fun to watch at summer league. It was my first exposure to him. He's a guy, I think 53rd is where he went. You know, guy that late, it's 50-50 whether he'll ever play in the NBA anyway, but uh, but you definitely saw the skills at Summer League about why he was at least a prospect. What do you know about him, and, and what are your thoughts uh, on his potential? Yeah, interestingly enough, the majority of my watching of his game also came at the FIBA U20 Europe tournament from last summer where I also watched Juancho play. And at the time, I actually thought uh, Cornelie was the better prospect. Oh, wow. I, I don't think that anymore, but... He, I mean, he's one of those guys who, when you watch, he immediately strikes you as an NBA prospect at the very least because yeah. he's he, he moves like an NBA player and he's got an outside shot. And at his size, that, that jumps off the screen. But the reason he's a late second round guy is everything else. Really skinny and also not very good at leveraging his frame. There are some skinny guys who kind of know how to use their physicality, but he seems to really struggle with bigger guys. And, yeah, how many push-ups and he also you think struggled. Do? <laughs> <laughs> I, I might be able I might be able to do more. He's yeah, he's, he's got he's got fairly broad shoulders, I would say, but totally unfilled out and almost almost gaunt looking. Um, he got he got buried under the rim a lot of time. Like I think they played the Allen Williams out of Phoenix, who's just kind of a big bully ball type player and just pushed him around yeah. like he wasn't even there a few times. And that's obviously yeah, not like for all the other stuff he does. If that's, if, if that's his weakness, it's going to get exploited every single time. Cause it's the easiest thing to exploit in the NBA. Yeah. And that's the thing with him. I, I don't think he's enough of a playmaker off the bounce that you really want him playing at the four. Mm. He's, he's not much of a passer and he can't really put the ball on the floor. He could play at the floor, but I think he's, he would be best used as kind of a small ball five. But in order to play that small ball five role, he really needs to add strength. Um, so until he adds strength, I don't think it's really realistic to expect him contributing at all at the NBA level. And then if he adds strength, there still are some question marks about, you know, making sure his jump shot's consistent, improving his defensive awareness and stuff. But his, his baseline baseline ability to move and ability to shoot at that size certainly is intriguing yeah i think for for me the the strength thing is is an automatic he's if he doesn't improve his strength he'll never play in the nba but uh for me i actually could see him as a four in this regard he moves really really well for his size like uh, 
I think he's already would right now would be elite NBA level just in terms of mobility for a guy of his height, not necessarily his weight. Obviously, he's so skinny. But um, and then the uh, the other side of the, of the court, I think he could be a really good roll to the rim guy. He had a lot of good rolls on pick and rolls in, in summer league. Finished strong with dunks and and and, and was just good at, at at kind of rolling correctly. And then he has a shot. He hit a corner three in in summer league. He took a couple others and missed, but the form looked there. So if he could kind of be that combination of pick and pop and pick and roll guy, especially with a, a, a skilled center like Jokic at the five, then Jokic can be the skilled big and, and Cornelie could be more of the, the roll to the rim big. Um, <laughs> but again, that's that's more of a down the road type thing. He's I still would put it at 50-50 whether he ever makes it to the league. Um but nice guy, and I'm excited about him. I want to I want to move on now to some of the second and third year guys because I, I've gotten a, I've gotten hit up on on Twitter and on DenverStiffs.com a little bit about under not talking enough about Yusef Nurkic, and that's probably fair. Um, so much attention has gone to Jokic over the last year because of the season he had, but Yusef Nurkic was the prospect on the Nuggets roster two years ago, and injuries and attitude have have prevented him from having a great second year but I wouldn't be surprised if he had a great third year if he had a bounce back year next year what are your thoughts on Yusef Nurkic as a player and and where do you where do you see him how do you see him performing this this upcoming season well first off I'm happy I get to talk about him because Denver Stiffs readers might be a little annoyed with me right now after being pessimistic on all the picks but um I'm, I'm a huge fan of Nurkic I'm not someone who particularly loves the idea of a back-to-the-basket bully ball five in this day and age. Yeah. Nurkic has a couple little things in his profile that really stand out and make him more acceptable despite his to even play in the modern NBA. I think he's got really quick hands on defense and, yeah. like, surprisingly good instincts. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily – he's never going to, like – hedge someone out hard all over the court because he doesn't move his feet that well. He's, he, I mean, he uses his nimble feet in the post on offense, and he can also use it on defense to have those slight hip adjustments when he's guarding and pick and roll. Yep. So even though he's got the type of frame where you think he's just going to get blown by by everyone, he, he's got the instincts and the little, the little nifty mobility to actually guard. And then on offense, I mean, the dude's just a load, like – he doesn't have the most advanced offensive game necessarily, but he, he knows how he knows how to use his frame about as well as anybody, and he's got a lot of frame to use. Yeah. So he's a big boy. I mean, he really is a massive. Not just height, because there's a lot of players with his height, but just his frame. I mean, his calves alone are, are like a human's waist. You yeah, know, like it's, it's, it's just a huge, huge body, and he slimmed up allegedly this summer, and he looks good on you know the Instagram photos we see, but. Even him slimmed up is still one of the biggest guys in the league. Like he'll never be a he'll never be a Pau Gasol or something. He's a he's a thick framed uh, thick framed guy, and I think he you know you talked about using his body well. I think defensively he uses his body extremely well. Um, I put together a video two years ago in his rookie season of him guarding Cousins, and he did this he just did a great job of meeting Cousins with his chest. And then Cousins would do a spin move, and he would meet him on the other side with his chest, just moving his feet really well. Uh, I th- don't think that's true, though, on the offensive end. He shot, like, 
really, really horribly from, I think he was one of the lowest centers around the rim at finishing around the rim. And part of that is because he does have soft hands and soft touch, and he always tries to shoot it over people when he's got that size to just hit him. Just hit him. On the, use your shoulder to hit an off-guard guy right in the chest and then, you know, make punish them when they're out of position. And that's one thing that I think he really, I hope he focuses on this year. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, he's got that tendency to kind of shoot those little, like, flip shots almost. Yeah. And, and you're like, why, why, is, why is this guy at this size shooting flip shots? I mean, I think he does a good job using his size to establish position and set screens, but I, I agree with you. He could do a better job just powering through guys. And Yeah. That's, that's yeah. where I would hope he goes this year. And, and one of the guys I've always compared him to is Andre Drummond. Drummond's obviously a freak athletically. He's one of the fastest centers in the league, and he's one of he, you know he gets above the rim a lot more than Nurkic does. Nurkic is almost always below the rim. But just in terms of using the body on the roll, Andre Drummond sets that screen and rolls, and sometimes he'll catch the lob. But mostly he's rolling for offensive rebound position, and that's what I think Nurkic needs to do. As you set that screen – Roll, and if you're not immediately open on the catch, just position yourself on the block to where it's impossible to get around you. Because big guys like that, it's so hard to fight around a guy that's already anchored, you know, right in that restricted area for the offensive rebound. It's almost impossible. And if he focused on that, I think for one, he'd clean up a lot of Moutier's misses, the same way that, that Drummond does for Reggie Jackson. And I think that's just the best way to use his physical talents as – Plant, almost planting himself like a tree on those rolls for one or two seconds um, before the shot goes up. Um, let me ask you about this, though. Uh, defensively, by the way, I think Nurkic is really good. I think Jokic is an underrated defensive player because his defensive impact is not very loud. He doesn't block shots and and things like that, but I think he's actually kind of a smart and crafty guy. But do you think the Nuggets waited until the seventh to last game last year to try out the Jokic-Nurkic lineup? And then they played it a lot to some fairly mixed, fairly negative results, which wasn't surprising uh, given how little they played together. But do you think that's a pairing that has any chance? Offensively, for sure, they can fit together just because Gogic is so skilled. He can fit with probably any other big in the league on the offensive end. Yeah, um, It's never going to be optimal on offense. I think, like you said, having a bit more of a vertical threat next to Gogic, like league you mentioned might be a better fit but it could it could work offensively um defensively is obviously where the bigger questions arise they're both really smart defenders i think i mean you look at someone like mark gasol neither of them are there yet but yeah. they're both in the mold of those guys who just know how to use their size and position themselves to make up for the fact that they're not jumping out of the gym or sliding all over the court but it's it's it still puts a a lot of pressure on either of them to guard a four-man. Um, traditionally, I guess you would probably try Jokic on the four, but it, it's never going to be an optimal pairing. I think they can they can take advantage of some matchups and they can be playable as they develop together. But you're never you're, they're never going to be getting the most out of each of them having them on the court together, which is a bit of an issue because I like them both individually a ton as prospects. But I, I think I'm on the same wavelength with you because I, I'm the exact same. I like them both a ton. I like Jokic a lot more, but I like I like Nurkic a ton as well. I think he's one of the best prospects at the center position uh, in the entire league. 
and uh, and I don't believe at all that Jokic can play the four. Um, he's doing that right now, actually, in the Olympics. And I, right before we hopped on, we were watching that Serbia France game, and you know Jokic is playing basically beyond the perimeter offensively, and then, and then playing guarding pick and rolls and stuff defensively. And he just looks out of place. He looks out of sorts. I don't I don't know that Jokic is that guy. He doesn't have as much as he's light and kind of he his movements on offense are kind of smooth defensively he's just so slow. Yeah. And watching him on Serbia is really frustrating cuz they just don't know how to use him at all and instead they're running the offense through uh Radulsa, Miroslav Radulica or however you pronounce it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree with you about Jokic. He's definitely best at the five, and they're both best at the five. Uh, that, one of the more curious things for this upcoming season will be how much Coach Malone dedicates training camp to the Jokic-Nurkic lineup. And it might be not at all. He might say, that's not what we're doing, that's not our future, that's not how I want to play. And But, but it will be interesting to see if in preseason, and even in the early part of the season, the first month, if he gives that lineup uh, spot minutes or even, you know, heavy minutes or, or what his approach is there. I think right now I could not answer that question at all because I don't know. Um, but my guess would be, my hunch is that he doesn't try it at all and it's one of those things that we really don't ever see. Um, but who knows? We'll, we'll have to see. Uh, real quickly, I want to ask you just, just just real quick about the next year's draft because the Nuggets have two picks next year, or potentially two picks. They have their own they also have the Memphis Grizzlies pick if it's a lottery pick that's not in the top five, which I think Memphis made some moves to that will probably make them a playoff team unless there's injuries. But what are you seeing next year as a draft as a whole? And then what are you seeing um, kind of in the middle of the draft, which is where it looks like the Nuggets will be picking? Well, next year's draft is coming in with a ton of hype right now. Um, I feel like almost every year gets a lot of hype at this time of um, year at this time of the season, but this one particularly is seen as a pretty loaded draft class. Personally, I think it lacks it lacks a guy I'd want to draft number one. Um, even compared to this year, I don't. I don't so, uh, some smart minds will disagree with me on this, and it's possible my mind will be changed after a year of watching. But I don't see someone who I would take over Ben Simmons at this juncture. Oh, but okay. it's it's loaded absolutely loaded with guys who look like they're deserving top eight picks, for example. Um, gotcha. it, it, might, it might go 15 deep with guys who traditionally would be a top eight or ten pick, um, mostly in the incoming freshman class, but it's also looking to be, if everyone stays in, a fantastic international class, which I'm sure the Nuggets will be all up on. Um, so, yeah. there, there's reasons to be excited. It looks like a deep draft of just a bunch of guys who are going to have NBA futures, not necessarily as stars, but as, as good rotation players. So it's, it sounds like if the Nuggets are picking next year, you know, 10th and 15th, if they got two picks, it really would be like having two Moutier-level prospects because there's just that many good players that are kind of all jumbled together in the middle there. Does that sound about right? Yeah, obviously a ton of things can change over the course of the college season. Right. But from where I'm sitting right now, looking at the class and what, I know, and what I've seen from all the prospects, I, I would rather have picks 10 and 15 than just pick four, for sure, because it looks like that type of deep class. And I just really look like they would be in position to take advantage of that. 
Gotcha. All right, well, we're going to finish up with a little bit of fun here. Um, because you are a guy that's, that's always following the young prospects, and you've, you've been following these guys a lot longer than most of us, the NBA right now, it's, there, there's a handful of teams that are loaded with young talent right now. It, it seems like the NBA is really top-heavy and bottom-heavy in terms of, you know, all the young prospects are consolidated on, like, seven teams, and then all the top talent is consolidated on seven teams, and, and, and that's just kind of where we are right now. I want to ask you, I want to, I, we, we talked a little bit before we went on, we went live, but how would you rank the teams with under 23 talent? That's kind of an arbitrary cutoff, but, but we're just going to make it, you know, under 23. Um, and, of course, the teams we're looking at are Denver, Minnesota, Philadelphia, Phoenix uh, is probably a little bit more shallow, but they have a couple of players that I think have a huge upside. The Lakers, Milwaukee. You wanted to include Boston, although I'll hear your thoughts on that. Um, how would you rank those teams, and are there anybody else I'm leaving out? Um, I guess the one team you might be leaving out is the Magic. Um, yeah. I love Aaron Gordon. I think if he is used correctly, he's a future all-star. But I'm not really a fan of the rest of the Magic's talent, so yeah. it's fair to say they would be lower on that group. Um in terms of my ranking, I think Minnesota is the team that obviously jumps out to most people. Towns is obviously the best player of this whole – if you look at all the prospects and all of these, I think he's the guy with the most sure upside. Yeah. Um, so sure. how much is that him carrying it, and then how much is that the supporting cast of Wiggins, Levine, and Dunn? I'd say it's mostly about Towns. Um, the NBA, as we just saw in the finals, is – compared to other professional sports leagues, a league where one great player can have an inordinate impact on the team. So even though some of these other young cores have a lot of other guys I might like better and a lot more depth, I think a prospect as potentially transcendent as Towns just kind of elevates Minnesota to the top regardless of who else they have. Never been a big Wiggins fan myself. Um pretty pessimistic about his future. I think he can be a useful NBA player by all means, a good one, but never have seen the star upside that many do. Um, Chris Dunn, I think, is an interesting addition. I think he's pretty similar to Moutier in a lot of ways, actually. Um, I would give Moutier a slight edge, but Dunn's a slightly similar prospect. And then Levine, Levine's kind of the X factor for me. Not a big Wiggins person, kind of meh on Dunn. But Levine, I do see the, the upside with. He's, he, he has no idea what he's doing out there on the court yeah. most of the time. But he's, he's, he's not just an athlete. Like He really has ball skills and shooting ability. So he, he's someone who's worth... Who, who excites me a little bit. I'm not sure if he'll ever put it together, but I, I, I think he's got a lot of potential. Anybody in their right mind, I think, has to put Minnesota number one. And e- even if you are lukewarm on the other three, like like you, like it sounds like you are, and I am as well, um, you just have, with Towns, he's such a transcendent, or he appears to be such a transcendent talent that he's just going to make all those guys better and, ev- and every other piece they add better because of how good he is as a two-way player. So... I think Minnesota, when you rank these, it's almost like, okay, Minnesota's one. Let's rank two through eight or whatever else we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> For me, two is Philly, which is obviously pretty controversial. Um, I've always been a huge Embiid fan. Whether, I don't know if 
I should even be allowed to mention Embiid as part of their young core at this point. Oh no, absolutely. I'm I'm I think I'm a bigger Embiid fan. I just love the way that guy moves, his size. I always tell the story of standing next to him in an elevator at Summer League, and the guy was the biggest human I've ever seen. He was just, I mean, I stand next to seven-footers all the time, and this guy just seemed to tower, you know, over that even. Yeah, he, he's he's a giant, and, and, he, and he can move, and he can even shoot a little bit. He's, he's the only player outside of Towns who has a chance to be truly transcendent, in my opinion. And, it's, and unlike... He's nowhere near as sure a thing as Towns, but unlike in Minnesota, I'm a big fan of some of their supporting talent. I think Simmons is a pretty unique prospect. Um, obviously difficult to build around, but yeah. guys with his athleticism and passing ability at that size are uncommon and almost, I would say, almost guaranteed to find find value and then pretty good value in the NBA. And then I'm also a big Noel fan, but... Obviously, the concern is that perhaps they would trade Noel and keep Okafor, who I'm less of a fan of. Um, also, not much of a Sterich fan myself. So, yeah. Philly's yeah, my it, it is an interesting roster for sure, and it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him because it sounds like Okafor has absolutely no trade value right now, which is just it, – it's crazy, but I agree with it. I would not I would not want him on the Nuggets. I, I can't think of many teams I would want him on. Um, so, I don't know if they can even give him away – at this point, and Noel, like you said, I really like Noel, but all of their talent is at the center and power forward position, so if Embiid does have a breakout year, Noel has to slide to either backup center or to power forward, but then, of course, you've got Simmons and Saric, you know, that are probably going to play a lot of power forward as well, so for me, I like their roster. If you just talk about raw talent and not fit, they have a lot of pieces, but I mean, I don't know how many of those guys move forward with the team for the next two or three years. Yeah, it's cer- it's certainly tricky. I I I, re- I really give them the number two ranking almost solely based on Embiid, Simmons, and Noel. Figuring yeah. that even if Embiid doesn't necessarily fully work out, having Noel and Simmons is a pretty great core, and the chance of Embiid working out gives them a lot. But managing that fit is going to be really difficult, and there's certainly a lot of room for the Sixers to kind of mess it up and not get the value out of that core that they should be. Yeah. What about Moving on, I, I have the Nuggets third. Um, I'm a huge fan of Jokic, like absolutely huge fan of Jokic. I think I, re- I really think he's Mark, the second coming of Marcus Gasol level good potentially. <laughs> yeah. And I've always been a huge fan of his. I, I mean, I, in, when he was drafted two years ago as a second-round guy, I remember I, even after the draft, I spent the summer like watching random ABA Liga games of his just because I, his passing, I love passing, and his passing has always yeah. helped me. So Jokic and then having a bunch of other pieces that I think are intriguing I, I don't think anyone else on the Nuggets really compares to Jokic as a prospect for me. Right. But I think the rest of the group all is intriguing. And at, between Nurkic, NBA, and Murray, at least, you've got three guys who are certainly NBA players. And then Hernan Gomez also, I'm pretty feeling more optimistic about at least being being some sort of rotation guy. Are you, are you low on Gary Harris? No, I would say I'm pretty average. On okay. I think I think he's an NBA guy for sure. I think he can. He definitely deserves like 25 minutes a game. 
Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he's much more than that, but uh, he's solid. <laughs> he's right. always someone who, who hasn't stuck out to me in any way, but hasn't necessarily left me with a bad impression. Yeah. All right, team number four. Fourth, um, I have Milwaukee. I think in what's becoming a theme, I, I favor talent at the top more than depth necessarily. And Giannis particularly, I think is a huge big time talent. Um, obviously tricky to build around someone who can't necessarily shoot, but needs the ball in his hands. Yeah. But I think he's, and I, and it is a good question of how much better can he get? Has he has he almost maxed out? I know there was a big Twitter debate about that uh, a, week or so, a week or so ago. Yeah. Um, but I'm a pretty big fan of his talent. And then I think Jabari Jabari's really interesting. He he needs he needs to develop that outside shot. I don't think I don't think he can be very successful as a solely interior player. Yeah. But if he develop that outside shot, I think he can be so, so good on offense that he can actually make up for his defensive shortcoming. And then Thon's obviously a bit of a question mark, um, even for myself, as someone who watches a ton of young guys. Um, I wasn't very high on him coming into the draft, but certainly, certainly showed some things at Summer League that were at least intriguing. Um, but mostly have the Bucks fourth for Giannis. I don't know what you think of their their group. It's tough, and this year I think will be uh, one that that clears things up a lot about Giannis because he's either going to make a leap where you know he had that stretch of triple doubles and looked like he was putting some things together. His year's either going to resemble that somewhat, or you know he'll kind of continue to be that prospect with upside. And he's not old by any means, but he is twenty one. And what is this? His fourth year now. He's coming into so. You know, we're going to – I think this. I think at the end of the uh, – this time next year, we're going to know Giannis a lot better than now. Um, I would bet for him uh, – you talked about Jabari. I'm actually really low on Jabari, and it pains me to say that because his game is so beautiful. He's a guy that if he was at the Drew League, I think he'd put up 50 points and he would have so many – like 20 different Vine highlights. Um, but for some reason, I think the shooting, the defense, and then just some of the decision-making – it's just not there for him, and I don't know. You know, his that might just be what kind of player he is, and the tendencies he's built up over time is just kind of a one-on-one scorer um, that that has some limitations that hurt him. So that's my read on Milwaukee. I, so next, I had the Lakers, and I would be pretty open to debating between the Lakers and Milwaukee. Um, I'm I'm a fan of D'Angelo Russell's game for sure. Uh, I think. I would take him over Moutier. I don't know. That will upset Nuggets fans. <laughs> Very defensible, though. I mean, that's, that's that's not a controversial opinion, really. No. I, yeah. I, I think his combination of passing and shooting is really high level, and those are two of the most important skills in today's NBA. Um, after that, I think Ingram is – not nearly as close to Simmons as a lot of people made him out to be. Yeah. Um, and I don't really see I think is some slim chance if his body really develops that he could be a big time, big time player, but I see him more as like a as a very good, very good complimentary player. Um which is valuable obviously, but not yeah. not as not exciting. And then Zubat is a 
I like Zubats as a center prospect, but I don't like him as much as Nurkic, for example. Yeah. You know, they've got some pieces. I'm not a not a Julius Randle guy at all. Basically, yeah. everything you said about Jabari, I believe, is amplified with Julius Randle. So. And Larry Nance Jr., I think he just makes the cutoff. He's a little bit of an older, younger guy. You know, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I, I think he, he's actually relatively comparable to Juancho. Um, there's certainly some similarities in their games. Yeah. In terms of finishers, guys who play with a lot of energy and kind of shoot. But Juancho's more developed as a shooter. So that probably gives him the slight edge. So now we're looking at, I think, Phoenix, Boston, and, and the Magic. Yeah. Um, I would go next with Phoenix. I know you sounds like you're a fan of their guys. I was a huge fan of Fender coming into the draft. Definitely have some questions after Summer League. And I, and I do place a lot of emphasis on Summer League because I think it's a great opportunity to see all the prospects facing the same level of competition, which yeah. you've never got them to see them do before. But still, still optimistic about him. Not a huge Booker guy myself. Oh, wow. I I, I like his offensive game a lot, but I think a lot of the same questions I have about Jamal Murray in terms of can he defend, um, can he create for others. He plays with a lot of poise, so you kind of think he's a good passer, but he's really really more of a scorer in my view. So I, I, think, he, I think he's a good talent, but I'm not excited enough about him to move them up any higher. And then Chris is, Chris is also intriguing, but not... Just not confident enough in him being much more than a role player. Chris is the guy for me that has the highest, you know, or not the highest, but has a high ceiling and low floor. And so when you talk about him, you know, it's all—it's always like, oh, you know, this could be what he he would add to the team. But then you have to realize, well, he could also add nothing. I mean, there's a really good chance he's just not a player. Um, at least that's how I look at him. Just an athletic guy with a lot of spring and bounce. Um, but I, as far as like raw basketball stuff, I don't I don't know that I'm super high on him. Yeah, I mean I I I think the Marvin Williams comparison is pretty good for him, and Marvin Williams is someone who just last year finally yeah. turned into a pretty good NBA player, but right. he took his time. So yeah. I could see I could see Chris following a similar trajectory. So Boston and Orlando. I'm gonna go Orlando because, like I said, Aaron Gordon is pretty enticing. I think if, if Orlando ever ever tried to let him play the small ball five role, he could really, really wow some people with his ability to actually protect the rim and battle inside despite being a little undersized. And that would really open up the floor. But it would never happen in Orlando. At least, at least it won't happen this next year. That's, yeah. my, that's my big worry about Gordon because I think he's the type of player I love, absolutely love, just – I wish he was somewhere else and not just a different coach. Cause obviously, you know, they, it's going to be a new situation and the roster's kind of, kind of wonky, but you know, maybe he can have a breakout, but I would just rather him be on a more, uh, a coach that's willing to experiment a little bit more and give him a bit of a longer leash to kind of figure out what he is. Yeah. And, and that's why I don't have the magic higher. Um, yeah. I mean, I think he, he's talented enough that, I would put them higher if I had confidence they would use him correctly, but I don't have much confidence in that. And then after that, I'm not a huge fan of Hizonia or Alfred Payton. Oh, I forgot about Hizonia. Wow. can't believe I forgot about him. <laughs> and then Boston, I mean, what are we looking at here? Jalen Brown? The, the reason I guess I thought we should include Boston is that I'm a pretty big Marcus Smart fan. Ah, okay. I, I think he still 
meets the cutoff. And Jalen Brown is intriguing to me. Um, after that, I think the rest of their pieces are pretty blessed. But I think Brown's got a real chance to be a pretty good NBA player. And Marcus Smart has already proven, I think, that he can be a useful NBA starter. So those two alone give them a nice young core. But but there's a reason you didn't necessarily have them there in the first place. I think they're a little behind the rest of this group. Well, Jay-Z, I appreciate it, man. That was a lot of fun. We went a little bit long, but that's that's because we had so much good stuff to talk about. So I, I really appreciate you coming on. Where can people find you and, and your work? Um, I would say the first place to check out is my Twitter, which is just at Jay-Z Maslish. Um, but then from there, I write a lot for Upside and Motor and also write for my own blog, Wingspan Addicts, um, which is just wingspanaddicts.com, though I'll only be writing there more towards draft season. Well, absolutely. I, I appreciate you so much coming on. Tremendous follow. Uh, Nuggets fans, check him out, especially you know for draft stuff, because uh, he really does a great job. One of the best jobs on the interwebs of, of following the draft. So uh, check it out, and uh, thanks a lot, and we'll be back next week. Thanks, Adam. Really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for listening to the Pickaxe Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com. I'm Susan from Safeway. Are you ready for a road trip? You can save on gas by shopping at Safeway. It's easy. Shop at Safeway and earn gas reward points. Then save up to 20 cents per gallon at participating Chevron or Texaco stations or up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations. That's right, up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations just for shopping with us. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Limited to 25 gallons in a single fill of other restrictions and exclusions apply. Visit store or Safeway.com for details. This is Susan from Safeway, and we'll see you soon. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.